The Christian life uh, actually uh, begins uh, when we respond to Jesus' invitation uh, to be his disciple. And all of us uh, started our Christian life journey uh, a year ago, uh, many years ago. Uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but the way God sees us is that he sees us as disciples of Christ because we are followers of Christ. Uh, in chapter 1 uh, of Mark and verse 17, it begins with Jesus calling his first two disciples, follow me. Uh, and Mark writes this very carefully, uh, what it means to be the followers of Christ, right? Uh, discipleship is, it begins with following Christ, right? Up to uh, chapter 4, Verse 35 of our text, uh, the 12 and other followers witnessed Jesus casting out demons with his authority and healing and uh, teaching concerning the kingdom of God. However, after they began their discipleship journey, uh, they encounter a near-death experience for the first time in today's text. No one expected to face a dangerous storm uh, in the ocean. Uh, the situation seemed pretty desperate. Uh, when you read uh, verse 37, a furious out of nowhere, a squall uh, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. No one expected to see a dangerous storm in the ocean. Uh, the situation seemed pretty desperate. Right? Well, uh, we come to this uh, text, and uh, it helps us to kind of look into our own selves and say, when we signed up to become a Jesus followers, uh, we expect to, like the disciples, to witness miracles, power, encounters, and learn from Jesus concerning God's kingdom. However, we don't expect find ourselves caught in the middle of a storm in the ocean, right? Uh, that's not what we expect in Christian life. And But here, it seems like uh, Jesus got up and uh, he rebuked the wind. But then his concern was more uh, his disciples and he said to his disciples in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Somehow, uh, faith, uh, Jesus expects faith in the middle of the storm, right? And uh, the other gospel writers recorded the same event, uh, Matthew, both Matthew and Luke. They all mean the same thing. Uh, faith was evident, but insufficient right, uh, to face the storm. Uh, we're not talking about here absence of faith, but we are talking about the faith was there. They had faith, but uh, it was insufficient. Uh, the, tr the translated uh, phrase, do you still have no faith, means do you not yet have faith. See, do you not yet have faith? 
meaning that Jesus expects the disciples to have faith in order to face the storm, right? And there's a sense of a little bit of frustration. By now, you need to have this faith, faith to face the storm. But do you not yet, yet, the word yet in Greek is uto, uh, 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 meaning uh, it's waiting for something to happen, right? Uh, but they didn't. They didn't uh, show that. Matthew 8, uh, 26 uh, says the same thing. And, but rather, uh, and translated uh, this way, you of little faith. Again, it does not mean the absence of faith, but little faith, right? Uh, Luke 8.25 says the same thing. It says, in the same incident, where is your faith? Right? When you say, where is your faith? Meaning that it's not like faith disappeared, but in this situation, the, with faith that you have, do you face the storm? Do you respond to the storm with faith? Right? It was not that the disciples did not have faith at all. They had faith, but their faith was not mature enough to face the storm. Instead, they responded with fear and frustration. Teachers, don't you care if we die, if we drown? We're all going to die, right? So it wasn't something that uh, they didn't have faith, uh, uh, but they uh, were doubting, right? Uh, Jesus rebuked his disciples. His rebuke assumes that you must not fear the storm by now. You must not respond. Uh, uh, you're responding gripped by this fear of losing your life. Rather than doubting that Jesus is utterly oblivious to this perilous situation, or he does not care. He doesn't care what I go through. And oftentimes we do that, right? Uh, when, things go, get, uh, when things get tough, we began to question God, right? I didn't really sign up for this. Why am I going through this? Uh, Lord, where are you? Right? Uh, uh, faith is not inborn. No one is born with this faith, right? Uh, it can ebb and flow uh, depending on circumstances, and it is most likely to fizzle and situate of this danger. For such reason, our faith needs to grow. Our faith needs to mature, right? Please remember that the disciples' fear does not alleviate after the storm quiet. Instead, their fear intensifies. Listen to me very carefully. Their fear, uh, their faith, uh, the, the fear intensifies as it shifts to the person, Jesus Christ. Because now they're asking, who is this? Even the wind and the storm, they listen to him. So now they have another fear. Fear before the storm, and now, who is this man? This Jesus that we decided to follow. Who is he? They were gripped with this fear. Faith is a process. Right? 
We're not simple. Faith is not inborn, and faith is a process. Genuine faith grows just as kingdom of God grows in that previous parable, which we didn't read. In verse 30, it says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. Right? Faith also grows. And we usually don't think about this. We accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and now we have faith in Jesus Christ. And somehow we think that whenever we face difficulties in life, we expect this faith will automatically kick in and start to work and able to face the storm. But it's not like that at all. Our faith needs to mature. And this is what we find in this text today, right? So the question is, how can our faith grow, right? Uh, that, that's the question. I, I want my faith to grow. Now, what do we do? Of course, we pray, we read the word, we memorize the word, we share the gospel, and uh, uh, we meditate, and we do all this to expect our faith to grow. Uh, but this morning, I want to just focus on this particular text as followers of Christ. We may make two wrong assumptions, like the disciples. Uh, first of all, if we follow Jesus and if he is with us, we will not face trials in life. Remember, Jesus was the one who told the disciples, oh, let us go over to the other side. He's the one who initiated, and the disciples simply followed Jesus, right? It wasn't like they wanted to go over to the other side. It wasn't the case, right? So if they follow Christ, then uh, things shouldn't be this way, right? We must not face the storm. Another assumption is that when we face trials in life, uh, we feel like God is ignoring our problems. It seems like he's completely oblivious to what we go through in life, what I am facing. And this is what we see in verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples walked him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? If we drown, see, notice the frustration, right? Notice the disappointment. Lord, what are you doing? I think we find ourselves in a very similar situation, in our dire situation. We cry out to God, seeking God's help like the psalmist. In Psalm 83, 1, it says, Oh, God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet. Oh, God, be not still. Isaiah 64, 1, he cries out, Oh, that you would render, you, you would tear the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. How we wish, right? Uh, at times, we, we want God to uh, tear heaven and, and, and come down, and, and that's what we want when we face hardship. We see God, who is omnipotent, who is omniscient, right? He, he can do everything. Right? Uh, he knows everything. In other words, what can God do 
become more magnified than especially when we face trials in life. Isn't that true? Right? Uh, usually when we uh, in life, we say, oh, God is loving. Uh, God loves me and he takes care of me. But when we face problems in life, now all of a sudden what he can do become very crucial in our life because what I'm going through, I cannot get out unless you come and rescue me. I need to be delivered, right? So he becomes his ability, what he can do, his mighty power becomes more magnified. But you know what? Discipleship is faith constantly transferring from what Jesus can do to who he is. Let me repeat that. Discipleship is constantly transferring from what he can do to who he is. And that's what we find in this text. Because up to chapter 4, we find Jesus casting out demons, feeding 4,000 later feeding 5,000. Uh, the list goes on, and he's incredible teaching on the kingdom of God. So we look at this and we say, yes, what he can do for me, my life, that becomes more important than who he is. But in Mark, he carefully reads this. Now, we don't have time to read the entire gospel uh, of Mark in one sitting, but if we read carefully, we're going to realize something interesting, and that is slowly, what does it mean to follow Christ? To follow Christ, and initially, what he can do for me becomes very important, but as, as I mature, as my faith matures, who he is becomes more important. This is the reason why they cried out. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Who is this? Right? That becomes more important in the midst of storm than what he can do. Right? And this is a, a gentle reminder for all of us. I believe in God who created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 11, the famous so-called faith chapter, starts with, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was, in, what was visible. There is no room for evolution here. But God created Agnihilo uh, out of nothing. Right? Later, at the end of chapter 11, and then moved to chapter 12, uh, he, the author says that, tells us that the goal of our faith is Jesus, and that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, for who he is. Right? That is the goal. Uh, that's where we need to rest our faith. So you see, Jesus' identity becomes more crucial in this faith journey than Christ's miracles, power, and teaching. Of course, we need all that. Mark wrote most of the miraculous deeds Jesus performed in the first half of the book of, of, of his gospel, from chapter 1, through all the way to chapter 8, uh, he tries to include most of the miracles uh, there and what Jesus did. 
But then in chapter 9, even though he does perform miracles, but becomes less, and what becomes highlighted is who he is. Who is this man? Right? So we have the deeds of, of Jesus and identity, who Jesus is. Jesus in the second half. So notice the follow me, following Jesus. Uh, discipleship is that we learn not only about what he has done, what he can do, but we learn who he is. Right? That's, that's the discipleship, right? Uh, well, uh, what becomes crucial matter in life is not Jesus' enactment, but Jesus' identity. Mature faith is more than Jesus' miracles. We are attracted to the person of the Jesus Christ. Right? That's what it is. Uh, then the question is, how can our faith rest on the genuine and purity and the identity of this Jesus? And that's the question. How can our faith rest on this Jesus, who he is, rather than what he can do? Uh, besides Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ in Mark chapter 8, 29, which was short-lived with Jesus rebuking uh, Peter, the authentic essence of Jesus is hidden somehow, suspended, and there is no true, genuine confession until we come to the end of Mark uh, chapter 15, where Mark records only one person made a genuine confession. How was he able to do that? This man was a centurion. He was not a Jew. He was not a disciple. But how, more carefully, he, he kind of uh, refrained from uh, people giving this confession, true confession, until the end. Why is that? Why does he do that? Why does he suspend this, uh, this confession, this genuine confession? When the centurion stood... There in front of Jesus when he was crucified, heard his cry and saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the son of God. Right? So that's what is amazing. Only through the cross of Jesus that we are able to truly find the true identity of Jesus, that he is the son of God. Right? This is the way of God. This is God's Revelation uh, in that way. Today, some people dismiss, uh, dismiss miracles of healing and exorcism in the Bible. They replace miraculous healing with modern medicine and technology. Some people reinterpret exorcism as a mere psychological phenomenon. Right? However, what do you do with silencing the storm and stilling the way? What do you do with this? As I conclude, two things I'll leave with you. Number one, a mature faith is to pause long enough to grasp Jesus is God himself. Right? A mature faith is to pause long enough to grasp Jesus is God himself. Who is he? Even the storm, even the wind obey him because he is God. 
this near man of Nazareth, this rabbi, he is God himself. Right? There's some reminiscence of Jonah's story in today's text. There the sailors, if you remember, were intensely gripped with fear because they had just witnessed the God of Jonah who had the authority over the storm and the waves when they threw him overboard. But here, disciples were equally gripped with fear since they had just witnessed the person Jesus Christ, God-like, who was, who had the authority to silence the wind and calm the waves. Could he be the son of man that Daniel prophesied in chapter 7, verse 13? Could he be the one? The son of man is the son of God, that he is God himself. Secondly, a mature faith is learning to trust in a Savior who does not deliver us from the storm, but through the storm. Let me repeat that. A mature faith is learning to trust in a Savior who does not deliver us from the storm, but through the storm. And this is what we experience. Some may think it's better not to be in the boat with Jesus in the first place. I know why, what we got ourselves into uh, in this situation, not to follow him at all. It might be better. Why go through this headache? Why join him in this journey? However, through the storm, we come to know who Jesus is. Jesus, the Son of Man, is no other than God himself. Psalm 107, 29 and 43 Tell us this. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. That's what we find. Therefore, for our faith to mature, we must move from what Jesus can do to who Jesus is. For our hearts to be drawn to Jesus, we fix our eyes on Jesus, who was crucified. Hear what Paul uh, uh, confessed. For I resolved, I committed, right? I've decided, I firmly decided to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. We're less than two weeks away from Good Friday. Uh, as we are in the last two weeks of this Lent, let's fix our thoughts on Jesus and crucifixion. How appropriate that is. And we find ourselves, our faith begins to mature. And when we do, may our faith mature to respond the storm, whatever the storm that you face in life, in faith. Let's pray.